morning. It's August. It's just moving. Uh, some of you have asked where the old pulpit went. Um, we're getting old on the teaching team, and I couldn't see the text anymore. It was just too low, and so we had, eventually this will be like virtual, I don't know, it'll just be in my glasses or something, but, so I hope you like this. All right, no, no, nobody cares. Okay, um, so we've set aside four Sundays. We're in the second now, if you missed last week. It, I mean, they kind of stand alone, but they do form a little bit of a, a conversation about some things. But uh, we've set aside four Sundays to reflect, really, on four different things that the church does when it gets together. Not what we do on our own, not in our private spiritual devotional lives, but when we're in this room, when every church around the world gets in their room, uh, what it does together. And these four things are honestly just a little bit strange. They're weird. And the whole church experience actually can be quite strange. And if you're new to the whole thing, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If it's not a strange experience for you, then you've been in the mix long enough to adjust. You've become weird, by the way. And uh, what we do in here is kind of familiar. It might be personal. It might have some roots and just familiarity and all that for you. But for the rest, and certainly for those who are way outside of the church context, uh, it's a strange experience. And again, like I said last week, just invite someone who's never been or doesn't even like the idea of coming, and you'll start to experience it yourself, maybe through their eyes and through their uh, thoughts as it's unfolding. It can be really, really strange. But here's the thing. It's always been that way. It's, it's always been kind of upstream. It's never been like, there was never a moment in history where church was just kind of a normal part of society. It's always been different. I had this uh, I have this copy of St. Augustine's Advent Sermons, and St. Augustine was a pastor who pastored a church in North Africa in the 4th century and early into the 5th century, so it's pretty old. And during that time, most of the world was Roman, and particularly in North Africa as well, and he, there's, it's, they're, they're just, to me, it's amazing. I mean, how they got that on the digital thing back then, I don't know, but I have the copies, uh, and I was reading through them just because I remembered something about the opening sermon in a particular Advent season where uh, Augustine was so like miffed by the idea that half his church wasn't in the building because they were all at the gladiatorial games. And I just thought it was hysterical. That, like, and he says, he's, I was going to put the quote on the screen, but it's really too long. But he says this one thing in there. He says, I suppose uh, half our church is more interested in entertainment than salvation right? Because they're all at the games. They're all watching people getting eaten by lions and things. But um, so I read that and it just makes me feel good, you know, because it's like we have those things around here too. Like, where is everybody? Well, Shaking East Festival is going on. I guess they're just, they're all there or they're at the Sweetwater beer thing. Okay. So it's always been the same. But I, I, I tell that story because even then he felt the need to point at culture and to say something about it in light of scripture. And almost from the very start, the church has worked hard to reshape the way it tells the Jesus story with each and every new generation through new language, art, media, and story. And it's a good thing because if the story isn't told in a way that makes sense, then the story doesn't really matter. Because it's good to remember that when God decided to communicate once and for all uh, his love and his grace, his plan for all creation and all of that, he didn't do it through poetry or strange sayings or insider language. He did it through coming to earth as his son, 
Jesus. He did it by becoming one of us, someone who looked like us, lived like us, breathed and slept and cried and laughed just like we do. Like the doctrine of the incarnation, which is a nice fancy theological term for God became human, is not just about the wonder of it all, because it is wonderful, but it's also about God emerging inside of our world and that God spoke the language of humanity. So it's always normal, it's always actually the calling of the church to take on the responsibility to reshape how the Jesus story is told and retold in each and every new generation. But here's the thing. Um, it's, you know, it's not how often we rotate in and out of new and fresh ways to do church. We do that all the time. But when we do it, there's a few things that remain still. They're always there. They're things that are really, really core. And they're also very conspicuous and they're very, very strange. Like last week we talked about baptism. And to an outsider, it looks like we're drowning somebody. Like, what is that? And we're not going to drown them. And of course, it depends on how sinful they were. We hold them under longer. But, um, but that's all in the pre-baptism interviews. So don't worry about that. I'm kidding. All right. We talked about that. Uh, in a couple weeks, we'll talk about prayer. That's a strange behavior to do. And then next week, we'll talk about this thing that we do every single Sunday where we break bread and we dip it into juice and we eat it. Like, what is that? And today... Uh, we'll talk about the Bible. It's fancy, isn't it? The Bible. Somebody asked me this morning, what are you preaching on? The Bible. Uh, oh, I'm going to go. So, But these are core things to the church experience. They'll never disappear. Although they may wear different clothes and speak in a different way, but at the end of the day, they're core to what we do and core to who we are. We threw this text up last week. It's a description of the early church. And Luke writes, so those who received his word were baptized. I've highlighted these for you so you can see the structure. Were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayers. Now, these four church behaviors, they're stock to the core experience of the Jesus community, and their purpose is simply to remind us of who we are, that we are apprentices of Jesus. We're following him. And each of these things is a tool for kind of recall or recollection and reflection. And when we experience them together, which is kind of what we're talking about this in this teaching set, when we experience them in this room together, they function as a means of turning our minds and refocusing them on our collective identity as God's people. It's a lot of big, a lot of big stuff. But today I want to talk about this right here, the Bible. Again, very exciting, right? Now, the first church I ever worked at was just a little part-time gig I had. Uh, I had gotten a job in the summer of 93, and it was about an hour away from uh, the college that I was attending, and I was, it was in between my sophomore and junior year. Little church, tiny church, 60 on Easter, really kind of an interesting place to be. And I spent three years there, you know, a wonderful and terrible experience altogether. But when I got there, I was to be the youth pastor and, it, and was one of their first youth pastors in, in many, many years. They had one before me, but again, he was part-time, and then he moved on, and then they hired me. And I had been there for about a month or so, and they, uh, some parents wanted to meet with me about some ideas. That's always fun. You know? <laughs> some ideas for the youth group. And so, yeah, I said, sure, come on in. They come into the office, and uh, we're talking, and they, this is what they said. They wanted to reintroduce something they used to do. That's always fun, too. And uh, they had all the equipment, they had everything we needed for it, uh, but they wanted to, and I don't know if you've heard of this, 
but it was the first time I had heard of it. But they wanted to bring back to youth group, the youth group experience, this thing that was called Bible Bowl. Anybody? You know, got a few. Got a few recovering Bible Bowl people. Now, for those of you who don't know what it is, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's like a quiz thing, like a quiz show, family feud, Jeopardy thing for Bible. And, uh, you know, basically you come in, you put two teams together, and there's literally, the equipment looked really sketchy. It was like wood with wires and a buzzer. And uh, they had them. They actually brought it in as a sort of a prop to sort of convince me because, like, the new technology really wowed me, like all the, the, <laughs> the soldering and the things. But basically, like, I didn't have any idea what this was. I mean, I went, to co- I went to Bible college as a freshman, not really even knowing that there was a Christian music scene, much less a quiz show Bible-based subculture. Like, I didn't even know this existed. And so I'm sitting here trying to, like, okay, what do they do? And like, they want to basically just replace the youth group experience with this quiz show. And I just thought to myself, like, is that not the, <laughs> like, talk about, like, Drawing a line between insider and outsider in the church experience, like, who knows any answers to Bible quiz questions anyway? Like, let's just be honest, church, in the church today, biblical literacy is really low, much less throw the quiz show in front of the students and go, okay, what did Habakkuk say in the, you know, bring a friend, like, they don't know, they don't know, give, serve, love Jesus, right, you know, anyway, Uh, so we didn't do that. We didn't do it. And the parents who were telling me, it was like, I was trying to think contextually, and the, the, I was thinking in my head, like, I'd been there a couple months, and I was like, that sounds really good, but getting to know your children, I'm just trying to get them to stop smoking between Sunday school and church. Like, if we could just start there, maybe we can, maybe we can take, Bible Bowl can be like the next step or something like that. But. Does anyone remember sword drills? If you grew up in church, got a, got a few more? Also very terrifying. If you don't know what it is, and I, I find it ironic, I don't have a Bible up here. But, uh, <laughs> but basically you come to church and this is basically a game that your Sunday school teacher played because they didn't prepare. And so they walk in on Sunday morning and they go, okay, we're gonna do a Bible drill, which means I didn't prepare the lesson. And everybody grabs their Bible and it can't be the Bible with the cheating tabs. You can't like, you know, here's all the initials. But they would just yell out a verse, a, chap- a book and a chapter and a verse, and the first person to find it won. And, of course, everyone else feels like a loser, right? <laughs> and, again, just could we just create more of an insider-outsider thing uh, about that? But here's the thing. I, I know that the Bible can be really difficult and complicated, uh, and we don't really have enough time to do a full session on the ins and outs of the Bible, and you probably wouldn't stick around anyway if I went that direction. And while there are parts of uh, the Bible that are very compelling, you know, about the Bible's history, its formation, its unity, and all of that, today isn't really about those things either. If you're on our church email list, I'm going to send you kind of a a document that I've put together just to help you maybe get started uh, to learn more about the Bible at a deeper level. But today isn't really about that. I'll drop a few things in here and there that might be interesting to you regarding the Bible itself, but this morning's reflection is really about this one question, and the question is this, what are we doing, we as a church, what are we doing when we are listening to Scripture? What's happening when it's, we're listening to it through the songs that 
Jeff and the band sing because they're all sort of rooted in scripture. Many, many phrases in the songs come from scripture. What are we doing when we listen to the reader read the text for the day or when I'm talking about the text? What are we doing when we listen to the Bible? And again, this is about in this room, not in your home alone with your Bible, but what is happening when we're all in this room listening to the scriptures? Because on Sunday mornings all over the world, that's what's happening. Churches huddle up inside and they, the scriptures are being read and they hear them. And what is that about? Well, let me talk about the Bible for just a moment. For starters, the Bible, the word Bible, really just comes from a Latin word that means books. Say that with me. Books. So the Bible is not a book. It's a bunch of books. It's many books. Each And each one was written by a real person in a real place and in a real time in history. I know this might sound odd, but the Bible just didn't fall from the sky and into the bookstore. That's not how it works. I teach a course on the theology of the Bible at Point University, and my students are always shocked, mostly because they're freshmen, to learn that the Bible wasn't the product of someone sitting in the woods in a trance while God moved their hand to write on the page. Many, many, maybe you thought that, but many, many people come into that learning experience and they go, hold on, time out. It wasn't like a, and then the scriptures were born. The Bible as we have it took some 1,500 years to write. And it was written by over 40 different people, most of whom never met. And the fact that we have it all together is quite interesting. I mean, if the apostles themselves walked in here and picked up your Bible, nobody has this anymore but your phone, and they would say, oh, that's interesting that you have it all in one place. It's also not a reference book. It looks like a reference book because we put big numbers and little numbers in there. But I have a Bible in my home that has none of that. I don't know if you have one of these, but it's just written out, looks like a novel. And it's very, if you read like Genesis 1 in a book without chapters and verses, it's very different. It feels more like a story that someone is telling and not just verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, verse 4. It's also not a history of the world. It doesn't even tell the whole story of hardly anything. But it does tell a particular story. And the story that it tells is the story of God repairing the world through a people, Israel, repairing the world relationally, spiritually, and also ecologically, because it's damaged. And the full narrative of the Bible is from creation to new creation. And there's something very compelling about the unity of the message that sits between uh, the covers of the Bible, again, that took 1,500 years to piece together, but somehow there's a harmony in that one message that God is continually moving through a people to renew the world. And in light of the fact that the Bible wasn't written in one setting, but over many different centuries by many different people, those are very, very compelling things that you can't ignore, that I can't ignore. But in brief, here's what's in the Bible. There's history, there's poetry, there's songs, there's biography, there's parable, there's letters, there's debate. I don't have prophecy on there. It's not because I don't like it. I just ran out of room. Uh, there's future stuff. There's apocalyptic stuff. Like the Bible isn't just one of those things. It's all of those things. It's not all history and it's not all parable. It's very important to remember. It's not all poetry and it's not all biography. 
It's all of those things. It's very, very diverse. Rowan Williams says it. Uh, says this, as soon as you think you know what the Bible is, you turn the page and it turns into something totally different. And it's true. You're reading through the text, you turn the page, and it, it's all of a sudden very, very different. Now, I say all that not to give you a full showing of what the Bible is and isn't. It's not. It's not a full showing at all. But it helps us get into the question of what we're doing when we listen to such a thing in this room. Now, here's uh, where I want to go over the next few minutes. The Bible doesn't really talk about itself all that much. It's not very proud of itself. It doesn't have a section devoted to itself. It's not an autobiography. But there is one piece of a letter, because the Bible is filled with letters, written by a man named Paul to his friend and colleague named Timothy. It's an, it's an extraordinary statement, just a piece of a letter. Maybe you've heard it before, uh, but it talks about Scripture and its purpose. And this is what it says. All Scripture is breathed out by God. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Maybe you're familiar with that text. And so what is Paul saying here? What does he mean by Scripture being breathed out by God? How is it that Scripture is both divine and also really, really useful? What is going on in the text? There's three things I want to just reflect on in our closing minutes together. And they're identified by these words, breathing, shaping, and animating. Say these with me. Breathing, shaping, and animating. Let's start with the first part of Paul's statement. All scripture is breathed out by God. Let's read this together because I'm afraid you're asleep. All scripture is breathed out by God. Now the first thing here is to know that Paul is talking about what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. He's not talking about anything with the New Testament because that really has, that still has yet to be written completely and circulated. It would actually be centuries from the words you see on the screen before the church would put a stamp on what was in and what was out regarding the New Testament. So Paul's not talking about the Jesus story and the gospel writings. He's not talking about any of that. He's referring back to what was called the Old Testament. He's talking about the scriptures of the Jewish people, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Covenant. And he's also talking to someone named Timothy. He's not talking to us. It's a very difficult thing to keep in mind that the Bible is, of course, written for us, but it was not written to us. No one sat down and went, this book will be for Derek. It's written to Derek. It's not written to Derek. It's written to a man named Timothy. But it's for us in the sense that we can learn from it. We can gain knowledge about God's ways from it. But he's talking to Timothy, and the setting for the whole letter from Paul to Timothy is one of stress and depression. Timothy was struggling in his job, in his faith, and in his spirit. And um, the form of Timothy's life was weakening, and Paul was writing to simply encourage him. And he starts with reminding Timothy of the very stories and promises and commands of scripture that have brought in the past shape to his own life and faith. We have this odd, and the only time it's mentioned in the New Testament, description of scripture being breathed out by God. Some versions say inspired by God, but the image here is of God breathing into something and breathing out something. 
And I don't know if you know much about breath. I think we all are acquainted with it. Um, but breath is essential to speaking. Language is animated with breath. Breathing is speaking. Breathing and speaking are intimately connected. This is also how the Genesis story begins. There's a sense in which God speaks things into existence. There's some Jewish tradition there that we're talking again about God breathing life into things. Spoken words, like if you're speaking, it indicates that you are living. Are you with me on that? Notice what it says in Genesis 2-7. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a what? A living being. He breathed. So such a beautiful image of God doing CPR, just breathing life into what was prior, not living. Now, all sorts of church tradition developed very early about what Paul is saying here. And one of the conclusions is that the writings of Scripture are inspired in the sense that God oversaw the process of the story being captured and retold but also that he has given life to its words and stories and promises and so on. In other words, the scriptures are alive with God's story of healing and repair of grace and mercy and of the promise that he is taking the cosmos in a particular direction, that history is going somewhere and that somewhere is a place of total renewal. That is the story of scripture no matter How many times you read it, that's what you come away with, that God is renewing all things. And so the stories and the texts are alive with that message, but they are also alive in the sense that they are from God, that God has somehow overseen that process. So so when we listen to the scriptures being read in this room as a church family, we are participating in this kind of tribal reminder that God is alive and that he has breathed out truth and life to us. And so Paul sort of begins there and says, just a reminder that, again, Timothy is depressed. He's, he's, he's uh, struggling. And Paul pulls him back to the texts that have framed his faith in the past and reminds him that those are not dead, that they are alive. And then he goes on to say that it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. God has breathed out his word in order that it might shape who we are. This is why the scriptures are both divine and also very, very useful. They are for our benefit in the sense that they shape our collective identity as God's people. Now, we talk a lot about reading the Bible. Read your Bible. Have you read your Bible? You're probably not reading your Bible, are you? Are you reading the Bible? Are you taking time out of the day to read the texts? I mean, these are all the questions that pastors make people feel guilty over. You're probably not reading your Bible, are you? Like, that's, that's maybe how you feel sometimes. And that's fine. We should be in the scriptures. But it's equally important, and I want you to understand this. I'll try to explain it as best I can. It's important to read the Bible, but it's equally important, maybe more important, to allow the Bible to read us. Let me say it this way. The Bible starts to shape us when we allow it to read us. I always feel like I'm in control 
if I see the Bible as simply something to be read and understood, if I can manage the Bible academically and theologically, then I feel like I'm taking steps in my faith because I know more than you. This is the story of the sermon series, by the way. Now, don't get me wrong. I love the sermon series. We're in the middle of one. I believe in them. It helps chunk out the Bible into understandable pieces. I do love the creativity that goes into a series, the art, the music, the teaching, the titles, the font, right? All that. It's always Helvetica. Uh, But the downside of a series is that it sometimes leads us to a place where we feel as though we can master something about the Bible, like seven ways to do this or that. I would not attend a church that says seven ways to fix your marriage. Don't do that. But sometimes we feel like we can master the Bible by putting that kind of framework around it. It can give us a sense of control over the topic because we've given it our own language and our own explanations. There's potential risk of becoming arrogant in that we feel as though we can gain control over a certain aspect of the spiritual and the divine. It can lead us to a place where our relationship with Scripture is going, I would say, in the wrong direction. Sometimes it's more important to allow Scripture to come to us and to read us. And this has to do with hearing the hard things and not responding right away, but letting it read our hearts, letting it make us twitch with discomfort and intrigue. We have to let it read our insides. Like when we hear Jesus saying something like, do good to those who hurt you, we just have to sit with that. That's not comfortable. But we have to sit there and wrestle with that and allow that to read us. Instead of saying, well, here's seven reasons, that's the dumbest idea. But instead, ask the question, why would my first response be to say that's a dumb idea? And to let scripture infiltrate us. That's what Paul's reminding Timothy and us to do is that scripture is to be heard by the community. And then when it is, we let it read us and it bends us into new shapes, the shape of Jesus. And that's not an easy thing to experience. So I don't know if that makes any sense, but the Bible must be read, but the process of reading it is allowing it to read us. Very different than just knowing it, but letting it know us and changing us. And then Paul ends with this, and we'll end with this as well. Equipped for every good work. Now, this seems obvious. Uh, Scripture is of God. It carries his breath and life. It reshapes us into the people of God. And, back to our three words, it animates us to live a certain kind of life, which is one of good works. This is where the Scriptures have authority. We talk about the authority of Scripture, but this is really where the Scriptures have authority. I've put this on the screen for you just so you can see the process of, of thought here. But the Scriptures, it's authoritative in that it authorizes a kind of living that marks the Jesus community as a changed and renewed people who are, in turn, changing and renewing the worlds they all inhabit, animated by the breath of God's life and God's word. That's probably a lot, but that's what the Scriptures do. They authorize a kind of living that mark us as the Jesus community, a changed and renewed people, 
who are in turn, because of a Christ-like animated life, we are changing and renewing the worlds that all of us inhabit. And that comes from the breath of God giving us life and also through his word, which is also alive. What is happening when we come together in this room and listen to the scriptures? We are reminded that God is alive and through his word we are made alive. We are reminded that, uh, that God's word brings shape to us as a church family. Again, we're not talking about just us individually, but us as a church collective people. And we're reminded that God's word animates us to live a certain kind of life. Paul wrote two letters to Timothy, and in the first one, he said this. It's so interesting. He said, until I come to visit you, devote yourself to the, let's read it together, public reading of Scripture. So cool, isn't it? Now, this is mostly because nobody had books, you know. A uh, a semi-wealthy synagogue would have had maybe two, three scrolls of an Old Testament book. And so they would just listen. Most people were illiterate. They had to just listen. And so from the start, the people of God have always been a listening community. And I love that Paul just instructs it so simply, like just devote yourself to this, which is someone stands up and they read scripture and you just listen and let it read you and let it shape you and animate you into a kind of people that God is pleased with. And so that is, that is your Bible lesson for today. It's always weird to have to get up and talk about that because, I mean, I'm up here yammering on about how we should listen and be quiet and listen. I'm the one that has to talk for 30 minutes. And so it's different. You know, you get the, but I love that we've added over the last year or so just someone walking up and reading the text and we all get to stand and listen. Amen? Let's continue to do that uh, as we grow together as a congregation. I'm gonna pray and then Jeff's gonna come up and set up our communion uh, for us, which we'll talk about next Sunday as well. Don't miss that. Um, some interesting things that we'll share. Um, but Jeff's gonna set that up for us after I pray, and then we'll, that'll, that'll close our gathering. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for um, the words that have come down to us. Um, and currently, it's in the form of a book, but uh, in its original form, it It was so separated and circulated and retold and told and retold. So God, we thank you that we have it. We thank you that we can just go get it. We thank you that it's free on the internet. We thank you that we can just read your word at any time. But God, help us as a church family when we come into this room each and every Sunday that when your word is read and taught and even sung, that um, it's doing something in us that it's bending us into new shapes and ultimately the shape of your son. And so we pray uh, as we take the communion in just a moment that you'll just speak to us through that. And it's in your name that we pray, amen.